0: And we're live. Enough about the U.S. Let's talk about China. You don't even know what China is, do you? What is China? You didn't know what a Republican was. You didn't know what a Democrat was. You don't even know what China is now. Let's talk about China. While the U.S. is in fighting and in decline, at least the evidence seems to point in that direction, although those are imprecise terms, What's China doing? China's in takeoff mode. China has been in takeoff mode. China is in Apollo 11 mode, but maybe Apollo 13 mode. They're a rocket ship that took off during during my lifetime, although the engine was already running by the 80s. Definitely taken off now. Definitely been taken off. Been took off. And they're aiming for number one. They're aiming for the number one spot, and why wouldn't they? What does a competitor do when they reach the number two spot except think about number one? Nobody aspires to win a silver medal. This is a surprisingly neglected point in a lot of the hawkish and consternating discussion about China. And we'll get into all that. This is Retrace segment number 47. 47. For Friday, November 11th, 2022. 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. It is also 12 noon in Beijing. But, over on the west side of China, it's more like brunch time. Maybe even a late breakfast. 4 a.m. in London, 3 p.m. Sydney. You know all that. Did I say it's November 11th? I did. Alright, so, China... Is the most people with the most history, mostly doing well, except lately, and now making a comeback. One, two, three, four, five. That's how I think you should think of China. Think about China. The most people, they've got like 1.4 billion. 1.4 billion. It used to be, if you were an American, you would say for every, for, for you there are three Chinese. Now it's like there's four. But anyway, that's not going to keep going like that because of the one-child policy, which, strangely enough, is not in my notes. Well, anyway. The most people, with the most history, they're the oldest continuing civilization, depending on how you measure civilizations, but really not depending on that. There's not anyone... All of the civilizations have fallen in any recognizable form, but Chinese civilization, just their written history, like three and a half thousand years, and then (laughs) I read somebody today that said, And when they started writing, their civilization was already old. They've mostly been doing well. Like the history of Chinese civilization is a lot of inventions and thriving and the good stuff that you want from a civilization. Uh, They had a century of humiliation. That's their phrase for it. Uh, So that wasn't part of that doing so well. But now, and by now I mean since the 70s, 80s, definitely the 90s and 2000s, they've been doing better. The most people with the most history, mostly doing well, except lately and now making a comeback. They are a billion people. It's not even a billion. You round now, it's a billion and a half. You used to be able to round down to a billion. Now you have to round up to a billion and a half. But they've got this population bomb thing about to happen, the demographics, because they did the one child policy too long and they and now they're trying to kickstart you know 2 and 3 child and it's not working quickly enough and anyway they try kickstarting it too late and we'll see some people think that's going to be that's going to be the downfall of china of of modern china some people think it is intensely competitive over there how do i know i haven't been there i've read a lot of books i've watched a lot of videos i've read a lot of articles intensely competitive in mating because of a one-child policy which means people aborted or in more horrific ways got rid of girls because girls were more expensive and or didn't bring in any money in the end for the family and if you could only have one child you need to focus on the economics and so terrible terrible things the one-child policy like it sounds like a rule but in i've you know i've heard it described as sort of like multiple means of committing what amounted to a genocide um You know, it was forced sterilizations, forced abortions, all the horrible stuff. So anyway, if you're a guy looking for a gal in China, you've got your work cut out for you. um, Because there aren't as many women now. It's not a big percentage difference, but it doesn't take much. Um, You know, it's like one, two, three, four, something percent difference uh, from memory. They're also intensely competitive in business. Why? Because they're coming up. They've, had a, they've been an economic miracle. They've been an economic miracle on top of a miracle. On top of a miracle. They get a miracle every decade of growth. Crazy growth. Why? Well, that's too big a question to go into in this introductory segment on China. But there, is, there are answers. There is a why. They've been so miraculously economically successful, intensely competitive in business, intensely competitive in the competition for love and family. They're governed by a single party, the CCP, Chinese Communist Party. CPC, is that how they refer to themselves, the Communist Party of China? CCP, CPC, PCP? They're rising, and before I move on from China, I mean, that's the whole, that's the fulcrum, that's the center of it all, the Chinese Communist Party. On the one hand, it's hard to imagine a China coming up so wildly successfully in terms of economics without uh, whatever the Communist Party did right. And on the other hand, whew, they might be like, you know, depending on who you believe Uh, they might be like the modern Nazis doing the same level of horrible. Um, It really depends on where you get your evidence, who you trust, and how much you extrapolate from the evidence you do get. There, There was evidence during World War II, before the Allied victory, of what was going on. We knew. We knew. But people didn't... You know... Psychology is a funny thing. And not everybody knew, of course. That might be going on right now again. Something like that. Not not necessarily the numbers yet, but something like that. Something comparable. China is mostly not the CCP, although the CCP, the, the Communist Party is millions of people. It's like, I think it's like 12 million people. It's like a lot of people. Um, and the evil done by... The CCP is not most of, you know, 12 million people are not doing the evil, but a lot of them are going to be looking the other way and doing things that in retrospect, or from from a, a different vantage point, we could easily say amounts to evil. Um, but most Chinese people are not in the Communist Party. Um, China, then which is mostly not the CCP, and and certainly Chinese history is not the CCP. That started in the last year of the 40s, 49, end of the Civil War. China is rising and has risen, let's say. It's not rising anymore. China has risen in a U.S.-dominated world, the post-World War II world, the post-war world, the United States dominated. Europe fought itself to death, and the United States was in a perfect position to Come in and take the spoils and benefit from everybody's exhaustion. And there's the World Bank and the IMF, and then the UN is in the United. States, it's headquartered in New York, and all these things. That it's a U.S. world, right? We've got the Navy all over the, the U.S. Navy all over the Pacific. China has come up in that world. Chinese, Chinese, the Chinese. China, or the Chinese, or Chinese, if you like, some people like to just say Chinese. so I've heard, are speaking Chinese. You might have already known that. You might think that that goes without saying. It does not go without saying. In fact, it should go with saying in Chinese. But I don't know how to say it in Chinese. Zhongguan? Zhongren, I forget. Zhongguo? The country, Chongren, is the Chinese people. Zhongren, I forget what. China, anyway, I know a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of Chinese. I've I've studied the language much more than I've learned to speak it or read it. Which is to say, I understand how the characters work, radicals, pictograms, ideograms. I understand how they correspond to the syllables and sounds and, int, and the four tones, and I understand, the, but I can't. I'm sorry. I just didn't get quite to the point where I can speak it usefully for anybody. But they're speaking it all the time. Like these people, you would not believe the Chinese. They wake up every morning. The first thing they do when they start talking, they sp- they're they speaking Chinese. At the end of the day, they're still doing it. Can you believe that? So why do we point this out? Chinese, Mandarin Chinese is a spoken version, and then... I forget what they call the written, but it's like Han something. I forget the the proper word for the written. So the spoken Mandarin is one thing. It's based on, it corresponds to the written characters, but the written characters um, are readable and understandable to lots of different spoken dialects of Chinese. And and some of the dialects are basically unintelligible to each other. Um, the The big ones are like Cantonese, which is Hong Kong. And... They they speak Mandarin in Taiwan, but it's like Taiwanese Mandarin, and they use traditional characters instead of the simplified characters. And anyway, the point is, if you're reading Chinese characters, preferably traditional, because you can always read simplified from traditional, but you can't always back go backward and 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 figure out what the simplified is or what the traditional is from the simplified. If you're reading Chinese, you're reading; you know, they're all reading the same language. The people who speak Chinese. If you're speaking Chinese, you might not be able to. You might not be speaking the same dialect or, or sub-language sub of Chinese to be able to understand someone who is yet, you know, a Chinese speaker in a sense. Anyway, I'm at the limit of my willingness to lecture on the Chinese language. It is a different language. It is a different way of thinking about language, about thinking about the world. Uh, Ludwig Wittgenstein said, my language is my world. And he was, a, he was at the forefront of linguistic philosophy, that big boom of stuff in the mid, early, mid-20th century. Um, the point is, there's a really good chance that most of what's translated could be translated very differently in most circumstances, and different expert translators differ remarkably on how to translate from one Chinese word or phrase to, to English. Um, and, and then there's also this huge language barrier. We don't, we can't read, I can't read, I have a lot of Chinese books, but I can't read much of any of them like i've you know i like having them and i like having the chance to look things up but um those are only the books that i can get my hands on it's not easy in the united states i mean you have to go to a major city to find a chinese japanese language bookstore which they, they're there but you have to go to a major city and in any way um if you don't know what most of it says it's like it's not useful to you anyway it takes a lot of work to translate And most of what they're saying to each other, most of what they're writing, is in Chinese never getting translated into English. That is important to remember. That is important to remember. Have I said that the whole point of Retrace focusing on China is hypothesis number four, the U.S. is no longer the only superpower war is likely? Keep that in mind the U.S. is no longer the only superpower, war is likely. That's a hypothesis. I mean, the first part is not, but the war is likely. And it's kind of not really a hypothesis because it's not a truth about, you know, we'd have to define likely, like what's the probability you can't really run different simulations or or different you you can't restart the world over and over again to see what happens. The world is not a rat. Rats are so easy to form hypotheses about War. War between the U.S. and China. (sighs) All right. Let's talk about... (laughs) We want to know what China is. I've given you sort of a way of thinking about it. The most people, the most history, doing well, except lately, making a comeback. It's a billion striving people, intensely competing in business, and for mates, and for, for everything intensely competing, governed by a single party, the Communist Party, rising in a U.S. world, speaking Chinese the whole time, unbelievably. So now, let's, in in a microsecond, run through Chinese history. No, 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 I promise I'm not going to do Chinese history. I'm going to start at the century of humiliation. Right? I can't go back 3,500 written years and then archaeological years before that stuff's important it's important to the Chinese especially they know their history um, but we're, we're going to start with the century of humiliation because we have to start somewhere and I just this is the part this is the place that made the most sense the opium wars, wars between Britain and China and then the second one was between France and China basically they flooded China with opium got them, made them drug, drug addicts for a while and that was the beginning and the onset of the Century of Humiliation, eighteen thirty-nine to eighteen forty-nine. It's a little over a century. There was Civil War in China, nineteen twenty-seven to forty-nine. So first half of the twentieth century, um, when the Chinese Communist Party was fighting the the nationalists, who got chased off to Taiwan. That's what Taiwan is. It's the sort of the defeated party, or the defeated side in the Chinese Civil War, retreated to an island, um, and now, miraculously, they were they, they were a, You know, Chiang Kai-shek was like a despot and bad things were happening on that island. And somehow they turned themselves into a thriving, happy democracy. So Taiwan is amazing. And also the centerpiece on the global chessboard between China and the U.S. We'll talk about it later. Civil war ended in 49. That's the beginning of Mao. Mao was, you know, leading the civil war for the communists there's a great during mao ruled until like the end of or, you know to the mid 70s so you know over 25 years during the great leap forward they're trying to modernize right they're seeing the west they're they're still a rural agrarian society tens of millions of people starved to death during the during the great leap forward and then hundreds of thousands, if not millions, were... And some people say it was like there were more people died. It's, it's, you know, it's hard to know, but more people died uh, during the Great Leap Forward than perhaps World War II, although it's definitely competitive with World War II. I'm not sure if I'm remembering that correctly. That, but anyway, they're up in the tens of millions, like 50 million, 60 million, something like that. Cultural revolution. So that was 58 to 62, so late 50s, early 60s. Um, and then the Cultural Revolution, late 60s till Mao died in 76, I think, um, was this sort of like ideological purge and parents or children like turning on their parents, and hundreds of thousands, if not millions, were killed during that as well. So this is just bad stuff that happened under Mao, uh, very bad stuff. Nixon, Richard Nixon, president of the U.S., Went to China in 1972, and sort of ended the 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 not the what's the word I'm looking for ended the thawed the ice between China and the United States, Um, and that was the that was the beginning of sort of the opening up of China. China becoming less communist and more sort of dictatorial capitalist. So Deng Xiaoping in the 70s and 80s. One of the thing, one of the ideas that's attributed to him as leader of China is hide your strength and bide your time. World War Three, war with China, sort of thing makes you think about hide your strength, bide your time. I'm not sure if he said that or if that was just sort of like a philosophy that was attributed to him. Jiang Zemin in the 90s, Hu Jintao in the 2000s. This, these are the economic boom periods that corresponded also with. Globalization and the internet and all these things came together, and China just kept going dit, 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 right up the the growth ladder at a breakneck pace. Western companies tried to get in. Chinese knew exactly what they were doing. They welcomed them, took all the benefit for themselves, and Western companies kind of limped away, licking their wounds. Rightly so, right? I think I kind of think I, I agree with that. Like, you know, I don't know. It's why should Western companies? Why should a country want other country, uh, other businesses, which are ultimately nationalist entities? They're ultimately, they get their charters, they get their right to existence and all of their benefits from the country from which they come. Come into another country and extract resources or extract the wealth or whatever. I mean, you're partnering, that's fine. But, you know, when they're going in they're predatory, which that's what capitalism leads to, it happens. Like, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with what they were trying to do. It's almost, it's almost a foregone conclusion. That uh, that co- corporations would do that as they go global, but the Chinese have mostly stopped them. <laughs> um, good for them. Um, that's uh, okay. So so that's that brings us up to about the Xi Jinping period. Now there's one thing, there's one idea that emerged right before Xi Jinping, Xi Jinping, Xi Jinping. Easy to mispronounce his name as I will do there's one idea that emerged in China just before Xi Jinping came to power in 2012. It's the idea of the China dream, which ultimately boils down to, the, to taking over the world from the United States. That's how scholars and experts and diplomats interpret this China dream thing that was in a book in 2009. Somebody wrote about it in 2005 as well. And it's not really clear if there's like a, some sort of, but people in China know it was like a really, it was a, the China dream was written by like a military guy. And it, uh, it's sort of like the, the grand vision of the more narrow thing that came out in unrestricted warfare, which was another book that was written by two colonels and the People's Liberation Army. And that's more like the tactics of, the strategy and tactics of modern warfare in the wake of the Gulf War. They saw the Gulf War, and they're like, clearly, you know, we have to, The, the th- things are changing in the 90s. The 90s is a super changing decade. And they wrote it at the end of the 90s. And they're going to say, war is like anything now. Anything economic, um, cultural, political, networks, terrorism, anything goes in warfare now. That's the only way that you can that anybody can hope to defeat the United States. So that's unrestricted warfare, the China dream of, you know, sort of making up for the century of humiliation by before 1949, I'm sorry, before 2049, before the 100 year anniversary of the, the Communist Party taking power in China, they want to take over the world. Now, that is supposed to be controversial. Oh, do they really want to take over the world? Is that really how you should understand the China dream? Who really said what? Do we really have all the translations? Is it just the Hawks, Pillsbury and people, or is it? Just think about it. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not a wild thing for them to aspire to. They're aspiring to be number one soon after becoming number two. That's not crazy. The unrestricted warfare, I haven't, like scoured that book I've read you know the, the, the sort of the parts that jump out but um, again it's like yeah yeah like of course warfare is going to evolve tactics and strategies are going to evolve based on technology that's the, that's the first thing that they identify as being you know the difference maker is technology 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 so yeah war is going to be different Now that one entity, the United States, can kick the crap out of a country like Iraq at the beginning of the 90s and doesn't show any sign of being tired or out of money, there's going to have to be a different approach to anybody who wants to resist that force. And if you're number two and that force comes looking for you, you better be ready with a way of resisting it, hence unrestricted warfare. It just doesn't seem that crazy to me. The 100-Year Marathon... Which is this idea that they? Which is the idea that you know? In Pillsbury's book is that's his title, and it's based on this China Dream thing. And in the China Dream book is the phrase: the marathon can be translated as rejuvenation. The word that in Chinese is either marathon or rejuvenation. It's like part and parcel. I don't see how that's possible. But again, going back to the language, they speak Chinese. That's where it all went confused when they started thinking a marathon and rejuvenation were the same thing. No, you know what I mean, though. It's like it's strange when a word. In Chinese can be translated to both of those words. Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I have some familiar, familiarity with marathons, and and uh, it's not rejuvenating. <laughs> okay, anyway, I haven't run one, but I'm uh, I aspire to. I aspire to do so. Um, so, so the hundred year marathon, China takes over for the United States. They say, and, and Pillsbury says in his book that the guy who wrote it, I forget his name. The guy who wrote it, you know, when he talks publicly about it in the United States, which he's done, or like two Western sources, I don't know if he's done it from U.S. soil, but um, he says, no, no, we want to do it peacefully. But when he's at home and when he's not, when he's in Chinese and not in English translation, he alludes to, he hints to like, we got to do this by force. We got to be ready to to strike and all this stuff when the time is right. Um, and then obviously unrestricted warfare, there's nothing hidden about you know, the, the the sort of hostile military intent behind that. But again, why is that controversial? Why would it, why would number two not want to be number one? Xi Jinping, first assented to power in 2012, five-year term. He's party secretary, president, you know, it's like you, they're one and the same, but sometimes they can be held by two different people over a couple of eras when I think of was like Jiang Zemin and Hu Jintao weren't – anyway, I'm not that good at the Chinese history of heads of state. Um, but he's both and he's been he – just, this just happened in earlier in – was it late October or early November? Anyway, last few weeks, the, the Chinese Communist Party Congress – I think they call it the Congress um, – met and confirmed that uh, Xi Jinping would be – would have another five-year term, which is unprecedented. Since Mao. So since the 50s to 70s, none of their leaders have... But there hasn't been, there haven't been that many leaders, but you know, it's still, it's been a while. He did a purge of a lot of Communist Party people accused of corruption. Probably purged a lot of his threats to his power as well. But there was also definitely a corruption problem. So how much of this, how much of that? Um, there's been a constant outward pushing in the South China Sea by the Chinese military, the Chinese, the People's Liberation Army. Uh, the Chinese Navy is part of the PLA, right? Like, it's, I don't remember what the, if they have a different name for the, the Navy. But they're boat-driving boat soldiers. Um, South China Sea is is contentious because a lot of global commerce goes through. I mean, first of all, global, like, like shipping, using shipping containers on uh, you know crude oil basically fueled um tanker ship or uh, container ships is the cheapest and dirtiest way of moving products all over the world and and it's just crazy cheap compared to the next to the other options um so a lot of shipping traffic goes everywhere but the south china sea especially um sees a lot of traffic and so as the chinese communist party and the p l a they like they've made l- islands. Like they've dredged up in shallow parts of the South China Sea, they dredged up the sand and made islands. The Spratleys and these different—I think it's the spratleys one of them, these different island, These different places where there wasn't land, they've made land and then put military bases on it. Um, the Belt and Road Initiative is sort of a global economic. Um, interconnected system of, I've, I still, I've Googled it a couple times, I don't know what, it, what the meaning of belt and road is. Like, I don't know why it's called belt and road, but anyway, there are roads and then there are shipping lanes, maybe the belts are the shipping lanes, and ports, container ports that can handle um, modern container ships and the biggest container ships. In you know, that the Chinese have been, under Xi Jinping, uh, building out as part of their sort of global economic push hong kong um there was an uprising it started with the school curriculum scholarism the scholarism movement and resistance to uh mainland china starting to affect what was taught in the schools in hong kong and then through several waves it eventually culminated in the national security law in response to millions of people protesting on the streets about extraditing um, cr- criminals or accused people from Hong Kong to the mainland where they don't, you know, there's like a 99% conviction rate in China. You don't get real justice if you go to mainland China for your for your trial. Uh, millions of people, and in, in Hong Kong's only, it's not even 10 million people, I think. And like a third of them were on the streets, according to the estimates uh, for one of the partic- protests in particular, that Fizzled in the siege at a university, Polytechnic, Hong Kong Polytechnic, but the, the uh, PolyU, I think. Uh, ugly situation there. Um, they basically cornered the last protesters in a university for weeks. Was it weeks? Anyway, it was long enough. They were. It was a miserable, miserable um, thing to watch. And the national security law got passed, it's sort of you know the Hong Kong government is, was sort of independent. It used to be, uh, you know, held by the British, and it was handed back to China in the nineties. And then they said they weren't going to change anything for fifty years. It's all complicated, anyway. Hong Kong, they lost. Honestly, watching what happened in Hong Kong, and I watched it live when it happened, um, was one of the most, probably the most inspiring thing I've ever seen, like, m- like that's happened in my lifetime um and but they lost uh and and they and a lot of them have been disappeared into the prisons and then they some of them have run to taiwan but it's not working out very well in taiwan and it's a, a lot of them got accepted into into the uk um and given you know a path to citizenship there Nancy Pelosi went to taiwan not too long ago a few months ago um, against the wishes of the Chinese Communist Party, Xi Jinping. She did it anyway. Good for her. That was awesome. The um, the Communist Party, the PLA, uh, responded... With a bunch of military exercises, like shooting missiles all over the place around Taiwan, basically they're threatening to invade Taiwan. For the longest time, everyone's known that they want to invade Taiwan. Remember, Taiwan is where the nationalists retreated after the after losing the civil war to the communists on the mainland, and so the communists they you know they don't like that the nationalists still control that awesome island, um, and and it's got its own economic system as far as they're concerned. And it's all this complicated international politics. They're not recognized that the Taiwan is not recognized as a country by by most international bodies because they because China will retaliate if the international body recognizes Taiwan as such including the the climate conference that's going on right now P- you know pretty much anything the UN does cuz China has a veto on the security council uh in the UN so um but Nancy Pelosi went to Taiwan and it seems like both parties in the United States Democrats and Republicans are clear that we should we should and we do support Taiwan, whether we'll be able to protect them or help them to become a porcupine against a, the against a Chinese attack, that's a different story. Um, COVID started in Wuhan. Maybe it leaked accidentally out of a lab. Maybe it was just the wet market. Nobody knows. Both hypotheses are valid. One is really um, contentious, obviously. Since COVID... And since the rest of the world has sort of gone through the COVID nightmare and and woken up from it, China has maintained a zero COVID policy, which itself has become this sort of nightmarish. People don't have food. They're locked in their houses. You know, Shanghai is shut down. Um, Very grinding effect that is having. Evergrande, is this like real estate investment company or real estate holding company? Anyway... That real estate was is like a huge part of the Chinese boom, economic boom, and they've been overleveraging. And then Evergrande suddenly couldn't pay its bills, and it ever, people thought maybe it was going to be the collapse of the Chinese economy, and it was going to ripple across the world. That hasn't happened yet, but there's still a lot of questions about whether, you know, how much how much of this debt is is real and or or has a future. It's not just Evergrande. It's lots, lots of. It's, there's a lot of. I mean, it's a hyper competitive economy, right? Hyper competitive, competitive society. It has to be. Um, people are going to cut corners. Tofu drag projects are buildings that are, um, that are made of of materials that remind the locals of the dregs of of tofu, and they fall apart. Facades fall off buildings. Sometimes bridges fall down. Pedestrian bridges fall down and kill people. Um, sometimes whole high-rise residential towers fall down. I don't think one's fallen down with people in it yet, but people have been killed when they've fallen down. Uh, there's been... Basically, they didn't respond very... The China the Chinese Communist Party did not respond very well to the in- invasion of Ukraine in the sense that they tacitly supported it, and they're also, you know, doing trade with Russia and didn't, you know, sort of react the way the rest of the international community did, um, which, you know, and should. A war of aggression is... I think that's the highest crime in in international law. Um, The Uyghur Muslims in China, basically there were like some terrorist attacks. You know, people drive, like, uh, somebody driving vans into crowds of people, there's video of this stuff. And it got blamed on the Uyghur Muslims. I don't know if it was them or not. I mean, just, you know, that's, and I think that's what kicked off this, this persecution and and internment of Uyghur Muslims and re-education camps that's, that's ongoing before them. It happened to the Falun Gong who were like sort of a spiritual meditation-y group, but, um, became so popular that China, the Chinese Communist Party started to worry about their effect on power in China. So they started getting persecuted. They started persecuting the Falun Gong. um, it's not just putting them in camps and reeducates there's uh <laughs> there, there's, there are very credible ac- accusations and, and there's credible evidence and testimony that there's organ harvesting on an ongoing basis on 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 sort of a a massive scale scheduling of heart transplants sort of stuff you can't do that israel passed a law against it um is my understanding when they discovered that they were scheduling heart transplants which you can't do unless you're going to kill somebody to get the heart Um, it seems like the UN knows about it, but China's part of the UN. The world doesn't know about it. There's a big question about the medical, global medical community. Why hasn't the global medical community reacted to this? Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, go more into the, 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 the sourcing for this material, this and everything I'm saying in, in future shows, we can't do it in this one, but there's there's a good chance that there's an organ harvesting industry, and that it's, you know, it's being, the the people who are being killed for their organs are the Uyghurs, the Falun Gong, and political prisoners generally. And finally, they're building a surveillance state. They're using a lot of Western technology, hardware and software. Cisco built the Great Firewall, but, um, I mean, that's what they say. I can't, you know, we'll figure out if that's a if that's a fair statement. If all of these are fair statements, as we dig into the evidence and into the sourcing, but um, they're building us—you know—cameras everywhere, facial recognition everywhere, mandatory compliance with um, basically surrender of privacy to the government. We talked a few segments back about, and in the AI, I think it was the AI news segment, we talked about how Japan was really leery of, the Japanese were leery of you know doing like a government ID program sort of thing and and getting moving away from paper to digital records and 100% compliance sort of thing well this is what they're worried about the chinese surveillance state is not a hypothetical um, it is they uh, you know it's it's what do they call it city brain i think city brain google that okay that's what's been going on in china lately I know that's a lot to take in. We're going to go through this stuff in more detail a bit at a time. We'll do a few few more segments on China just to make sure that we've got all this sourced properly. Um, But this is just a, a rundown. The most people with the most history, mostly doing well, except lately, and now making a comeback. But is it going to end in World War III with the United States? Is it going to end in a dystopian surveillance state that gets the technology for which or the technology and methodology for which get exported to all the other places that that can go and then eventually creeping in on us and even if it doesn't get to us what about all these other people what about the people in china and what about the people in second and third world countries that might get stuck in in a power system they can't escape that no one could escape because it's because it works these are possibilities so anyway, have a good evening. This has been Retrace, segment 47. No references for this one. I'm not going to cite any of this stuff. It takes a lot of work to cite all this. I'm going to do it piecemeal in the coming segments. So I'll write the stuff up in the notes, but I'm not going to cite any, anything. I'm going to make sure that I cite everything later in more detail and piecemeal. But anyway, the PDF notes are at retrace.com, R-E-T-R-A-I-C-E.com. Next segment's tomorrow, 11 p.m., 8 p.m. specific and all the other times, signing off.